Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today I want to read uh, from a very famous scripture that I use oftenly, especially when I'm emphasizing the New Testament realities, the present truth, as we call it. And if you are writing notes, the sermon will be called Living in the Fullness. Living in the Fullness is a conversation I want to have with us. And our text comes from uh, the Gospel of St. John, the first chapter John bearing witness of the person of Christ. The 16th verse, to be specific, he said, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. Of his fullness we have all, and I want you to underline those three letters of that word, all received and grace for grace. Hallelujah. We have all received or have we all received and grace for grace. Hallelujah. Recently, I had a very interesting conversation with a very dear minister. And I believe a conversation that is pertinent to also share with some of us who I pray might understand or relate with the weight of the conviction of this message. And while I was talking with this minister, we went to and fro thinking through again with the sorrow or the pity in part of for the people who have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth and do not even yet know that they don't know the truth and some of them have grown in the ranks and are seated in very powerful offices in the kingdom of our Lord, preaching, teaching, ministering what they understand to be true. And may I add that a man might not necessarily be progressed but still or yet in the knowledge 
of truth. And let me explain that for you to understand this. Every dispensation, I believe, or every age of human existence, until the Christ returns, there is a fundamental law that has been set by God in the earth as a precursor of unveiling the purposes of the end times. It is apparent as the scriptures have prophesied that the end times are going to be times of so much evil and wickedness. And there is a parallel reality by the will of God to ensure that knowledge be increased because it's the only way the righteous will stand. Isn't that so? The Bible says that wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times and the strength of your salvation. That in every dispensation, every age, as men continue to be wicked and crazy, evil, malevolent, whatever you might call it, as far as a man can be in his wickedness, God in his infinite mercy and heart of redemption will raise a deeper place of truth to help the righteous stand in that time against the madness of the time. And I'm trying to speak in as simple English as I can, hoping that I'll make sense. So, because there is never going to be a time where wisdom and knowledge or revelation are not relevant, to keep us stable, afloat, relevant in the time where many aspects or provisions shall be given by the enemy to subvert many to destruction. The urgency of our stability, God has emphasized, is in how much, not just what, but how much we should know. If the generation of our children is going to be a very crazy generation, it means our children will know or should know more than our generation. You get it? Because they need to stay stable in their own times. So this fundamental law has spoken or been spoken since time in memorial that knowledge shall be increased in the end times. Knowledge shall be increased in the years to come. Knowledge shall be increased from generation to generation. Knowledge shall be increased from age to age. So it is true with Christianity as it is with the world. There's better innovations coming ahead in, in the future whether you're talking about science or health or whichever area you're going to spell. There's going to be greater innovations coming in the years to come. But as the world is advancing for good, we also know the enemy is doing his part for evil and God is doing the part of increasing knowledge, increasing wisdom, increasing revelation. So why did I start that way? Because I wanted to emphasize that there are revelations that are available for specific dispensations, that if a man in a dispensation before 
might have had the grace to glimpse or limp into those revelations, that revelation might not manifest its fullness of experience in the dispensation that man is in. There are things that I believe some people are teaching or have taught before that are being understood now. And there are things definitely that God's holy ones are ministering or those which have, let me use the word, crossed the line of consecration to see what is on the other side of the veil of the next move of the spirit men and a few women who have read the scrolls of heaven. Things that they have glimpsed into and I believe are for this dispensation, but there are also things they will have and receive that might not fully express themselves in the dispensation that they're in, that those which shall come after shall use their teachings as reference to establish and affirm what then they shall receive in that dispensation. So certain truths are dispensational. They come with the age. Now imagine a person who is maybe three dispensations uh, of revelation or three ages behind in revelation. They might speak a truth that is relatable with somebody who is ahead of them and their truths can be used as reference to build upon what they have already started, okay? Like when Paul laid the foundation, in the time he was in, the grace that was given him as a master builder in the dispensation of grace, generally, which we are all in now, we are all in the dispensation of grace, but there are dispensations in the dispensation. There are ages in the age, right? Like there are times in the time. There's Kronos in Kairos. Am I making sense? In the simplicity of things, when God created Adam, man, there were men in Adam. But those men did not appear the day Adam was created. There was a process. The first person to come out of him was Eve. Out of his rib, the Bible says, God formed a woman, born of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Then from there, the beginning of life like we know it. So later on, when you read in Genesis and it says, for I shall not strive with man, right? I shall not strive with man, for he is also flesh, and these days are 120. There, man is Adam. You see? Adam, man. Man. So when we say mankind is an interesting person or species, mankind, man, right? We are using sort of a singular preposition, but we are talking about anything called, is it homo sapien? So in the dispensation of grace, there are dispensations within the dispensation. Are you following? So we are in the definite article, dispensation of grace. But there are ages or dispensations. There are ages present, ages before, in the dispensation. 
and there are also ages to come. Bible talks about the powers of the ages to come. The powers of the ages to come. That's what the Bible says. So, in Paul's dispensation, in the dispensation of grace, the most ultimate revelation then was to lay the foundation. Any man who could see in the times of Paul could either understand or interpret what Paul was laying or were in the primal stages of building a pawn. But the revelation available in the days of Paul then was the laying of foundation. Now, that doesn't mean that when we talk about foundation, we only end at what Paul could reveal to us. Because when we go now individualistically, you find that when you're dealing with an individual, and you're talking about foundational truths, when they become born again, they are beginning from somewhere. As though from where Paul had begun his message of laying the foundation. But they will find that there are individuals also in the same church who have gone beyond that revelation and are in the higher laws of the spirit. Because not all of us are equal spiritually. You see what I'm saying? But in every generation, there are things I believe that God has availed for us to know because that in its own, in truth, spells the progress of the church. From glory to glory. From faith to faith. From grace to grace. And that's how it's going to be until the return of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. I've taken so much time to emphasize this because it will help me emphasize the other realities I, I want to go deeper into. So a man might be in an older understanding of things. They are progressing to perhaps where you are, but they've begun in the right foundation of things. Okay? Let me give you an example. If you have sat under a grace teacher for five, six years, and you've been an ardent follower and a man who knows how to teach the message of grace, right? There's somebody who got born again yesterday and they are in the primal stages of understanding this, okay? The Bible says that it is better for the heart to be established in grace and not with diverse meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Okay, so strange doctrines, diverse and strange doctrines will divert a man off the course. But he says, but it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Okay, when I'm dealing with somebody who's just gotten born again and I'm teaching them the message of grace, I have to begin from those primary things. What does it mean to repent of dead works? What are dead works? Dead works are not necessarily wrong things. No, no, no. Okay, I get that from Hebrews 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. And he says, let not laying again the foundation. Now, this is important 
for the person who has gotten born again, firstly to understand the foundation, which is one, repentance from dead works. Then from there, I take them to faith toward God. And then the doctrines of the baptisms, not baptism, water, baptisms. These are now levels of consecration. And then I talk about the laying on of hands, which is the commissioning, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. You see the journey. If somebody is born again, I don't first teach them eternal judgment. I have to first take them back and help them understand that first one. First lesson, repentance from dead works. What is dead works? Because the message of this thing we call the grace, because when we talk about the grace, people say, oh, extreme grace. People are telling people to do, no, 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 no. They don't yet understand. They don't understand what we're teaching yet. Doesn't mean we teach whatever they accuse us for. Because some of them had wrong foundations. So when you try to teach the truth, they can't understand it because they need to first go back now, let's study something simple as repentance from dead works. What are dead works? Dead works are not necessarily bad things. Dead works are the things you think you have to do to find favor and approval before a God who has already favored and approved you by the work of Christ. Dead works are works that you do of yourself, for yourself. Instead of works that are done of God through you. Look at the mystery of love in the book of Corinthians. He says, even if I give my goods to the poor, but have not love. So it's possible for a man to give or bestow all his goods to feed the poor. And yet he's not walking in the revelation of agape, the love of God. And he speaks of a man who gives his body to be burned, but have not love. He says it profits him nothing. A man can actually get to a point of giving his body to be burned. It's a sacrifice and you say, this man died as a matter, but before God, it was dead works. Because it was not in the revelation of God's love. It was in the pursuit of self-interest. And let me tell you something. I've already said this times uh, without number. That hungry men do the same things lasting men do. A man who is a lasting, who is driven by their carnal desires, can do the same things a man who is hungry for God would do. But only the Lord who sees these hearts can judge and say, the thing you're doing is after the lust of your flesh. It's after the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Let me give you a simple example. Right now, maybe in the world, there is a young man on a mountain, right now on a prayer mountain, in the thicket, weeping to his God in this cold, asking God to consecrate him because he feels a burden for his generation. And just a few meters away, there's another young man as well, weeping, making the same prayers. But his picture is after a certain admiration 
that he has for a certain man of God. And the man of God tells him, if you want to be like me, you're going to go on the mountain and pray for the days like I did pray. And much as he seeks a good thing, but his heart is not in the right place because he does not have the heart of God in why men are anointed to reach the lost. His heart is, I also want to get a visa and go to the United States and be like apostle so-and-so, be like prophet so-and-so. I also want to own a television station and have cameras watching me every Thursday. I also want to be like those guys who are doing great things. I saw a wonderful man who is making these millions of dollars and he's a Christian, but he told us that he's so God, you see? And that is why I pray to God as I have prayed for fellow ministers, that may God give us the wisdom, not in lieu of preaching the gospel, to cast the very spirit of lust on the hearts of men, to start a lasting for things that were designed by God to follow them only because we have not yet come to the full knowledge of how to preach our conviction. And in part, it's not that some of our people intend to preach that way, but it is because they also do not know the truth. Or some are of the same foundation. When I was growing up, there's a group of guys I met, very fervent young men. They opened deaf ears at my watch. They made the lame men walk at my watch. They opened, you know, uh, blind eyes at my watch. These guys were fervent and they could pray. They could pray. But there was always a group within there retorting always that there were always three things we were to pursue. Three, and I've mentioned it. They told us that in this life, pursue three things. Pursue the anointing. And you need money. Pursue money and doors, open doors. So there are three things you need. If you have open doors and you can access a lot of wealth and you carry the anointing, you're going to be a successful minister. Now there was a group then of young men which were yes, very deeply anointed, accurately prophetic. But every time they were pursuing, they were pursuing for the anointing and they got anointed. They were pursuing for money and many pursued and got the wealth early. Some wealth. And open doors open. You had some in Asia, some in Europe and some in America. And they come back. Smelling very nice with very expensive colognes and a nice little property and a car important left hand drive from another car. And you know, they also start to teach the next generation how to penetrate through nations. You see, but these works were of them for them. And as I started to grow in God. I go to God, I ask, are these the things that a man should live for? God said, no. They are seeking the anointing. You seek me. They are seeking money. You seek me. They are seeking doors. I am the way. Has somebody learned something? 
look at a portion of scripture like seek ye the Lord and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know how how do you know the people Jesus was speaking to were not born again? When he was speaking these people he was speaking to were they born again? Were the disciples of Jesus Christ born again at that time? Okay, what does it mean to be born again? To be born again means that you believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Had Jesus died yet? Was he raised from the dead? No. So there was no new birth experience before the death and resurrection of Christ. Now do you understand it? So these men you were speaking to were not born again. They were seeking the kingdom, to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Now, when you become born again, you are begotten into the kingdom. Do you agree? And righteousness is bestowed on you as a gift. So you're not a seeker of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says for he has been made he has made him to be sin for us. Jesus became carried our sin. He who knew no sin that we might be made listen the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. I bear the righteousness of God. I'm not a seeker of the righteousness of God. I bear the righteousness of God and therefore I will do righteous deeds, righteous works because I carry the righteousness of God. I do not pursue it anymore because now it's a part of my testimony. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, when you say seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his righteousness Is that something a man should continue to do so these things are added because if you teach it that way you're going to be placing last on the man because you're telling him do everything you can do this do this do this such that you get the car such that you get the house such that you get the wife such that you get the promotion such that you get the visa so when they get the visa when they get the wife when they get the car because surely the seed will carry its harvest then you will see they carry no conviction to go any further with God because the experience at that point of the understanding was only trying to attract something in their lives and there are many like that who when they were still in Uganda in a third world country they would seek God now they got a visa they live in Minnesota Now they're too busy to seek the Lord. Are you understanding what I'm saying? If somebody doesn't understand what God has done through Christ, they will not understand what I just shared. They might think, "Hmm. He's twisting scriptures." No, I'm not twisting scriptures. 
I'm trying to reconcile scripture to dispensation. It's like when Jesus goes to his disciples and says, behold, I give you power to trample on snakes and scorpions. Were those men born again? Answer me, were they born again? So they received provisional power. Like you have a provisional permit. When you, you understand some of you have gone to driving school? They can give you a provisional permit. This was provisional power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. This is not the reality of the New Testament covert. The New Testament covert is higher than this experience. Because what they had was provisional power. So it was something that came on them, delegated by the sovereignty of the person of Christ. Like he would put it in a hanky and it's put on a sick person. This was simply delegated power on those which followed him. That I can find a non-believer who doesn't even believe, you know, and I tell him, look, I'm going to give you this hanky. Take it on a sick person. And they carry it. And put it on a sick person. And it is so. The sick person is healed. I've delegated power in that handkerchief. Because we have that right in the jurisdiction of the New Testament dispensation. You follow? That is why when Jesus is about to leave, he tells them, uh-uh, provisional power here won't work because I won't be here. Tarry in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And he tells them, tarry in Jerusalem. He says, behold, I send the promise of the Father unto you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The one which is resident inside you. Not that which I've delegated by reason of my sovereignty. Wait in Jerusalem and receive your driving license. Because I don't want you to drive provisionally. Provisional licenses have an expiration. This one, this one is different. Now, when you read your Bible, do you sometimes separate what speaks to the disciples before the new birth and what speaks to the disciples after the resurrection of Christ? Are you following me? Let me tell you, if you understand this, you're going to be listening to some minister's teaching and you'll be like, oh. <laughs> where is this brother speaking from? Not that you're being critical, but now you have an understanding to discern. Because some of you, by the way, don't yet know the difference. One time somebody told me, you preach like a certain minister. And then they told me some American fellow. But the guy, they said I was preaching like, I was like, how? Oh. He goes, I've had the fellow before. The things he teaches, mm -mm. <laughs> no, no. But you know, there are people who can't tell the difference. Because if you teach from John 1.16, and the other preacher teaches from John 1.16, they think you're taught like him. You know, we have people like that. 
because they've not yet. Are you following me, child of God? Meanwhile, I'm still in introduction. I'm still in the preamble. I've not yet preached the message I want to give this evening. But I take so much time in the foundation because if I can get the foundation right, five minutes are enough for me to take the message home. Now, there are things I have progressed in understanding as well that if I look back at my sermons seven, eight years ago, some of them I'm like, mm, here. Mm, mm. <laughs> it was like a short circuit here. You understand? But in that understanding of judging what God has put through me, I can tell that it was just an incomplete revelation, not something really off the course. There's just a refining experience that gives a complete picture of some of those things, but not necessarily off. Because my consecrations came so early in understanding. So there are things that I understood at a very younger age. Now, why am I taking time to explain this to you? I was talking about the new believer who I'm going to teach repentance from dead works. Such that they first understand what it means to yield entirely to God. This is one of those sermons you have to listen to more than once because I'm sharing too much in such a short time. And everything I'm sharing is a potential topic. So you need to help them understand what is repentance from dead works. Why do I get to a point of maturity like Paul got where he says, for it's a small thing to judge me for I know nothing of myself. He reached a level where he knew nothing of his own self. The New Testament convert, usually from the world they come on, it's a self world. That is why the Bible tells us not to appoint novices, spiritual babies. Because the one thing that they'll fall into easily is called pride. And pride is a self thing. It's me doing it. I did this, I do this and I do that. They fall into the condemnation of the devil. When a man goes beyond that level of immaturity and continues to understand God and matures to a place where they are qualified to be a minister, they know nothing of themselves. Nothing they do, they will say, it's me. That is why many of you, when you send me, say, well, thank you for preaching. Da, 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 da. First statement I'll do is, glory to God. Or you've already seen me do this. Because I know nothing of myself. It is him. Paul says, I'm dead, yet I live. So you see, this person needs to even understand death. I'm dead, yet I live. Nevertheless, not I, the Bible says, but Christ liveth in me. He says, and the life which I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith. Did he say the faith in? He said, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith 
of the Son. So it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. This was the mystery that was hid from the ages past and now it's the revelation in the dispensations past. It was not a mystery fully comprehended, but now it is revealed Christ in me, the hope of glory. He works in me both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So when we are telling believers, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. From what foundation? If the heart is established in grace, as Hebrews has said, they will know that even though they are to work out the salvation in fear and in trembling, the next line says, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So they know that even though I'm to work out my salvation, I cannot do it on my own terms and my own means, by my own ways. I have to yield myself entirely to God. Actually, this scripture is simply calling me to learn to be yielded entirely to God to work through me both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is not a deliberate action of the man. This is a surrendered life of a man for God to work in him. Have you understood that? These are called primary truths, foundational realities. And there are people who are 10 years in the gospel, 15 years in the gospel, you're just hearing new things. Where have you been? If you had begun your life of salvation from this, reality <laughs> that from the start of your life you are conformed somehow to the workings of the spirit through you even your prayer life is different because he is in you aiding you by the spirit to pray your ministry as a pastor will be different because it's not you building he says, on this rock, I, Jesus said, will build my church. If you find a minister saying, um, I'm building a ministry. See, they might say that because it's the way for you to understand, but they know what they actually mean. But they might actually also say it because that's what they really mean. And the wisdom to tell the difference shows how mature you are. Am I the one building or it is God building through me? It's very important. Sometimes you can say, I'm going to heal the sick. But I know as a truth that it's actually God working in me to heal the sick. Are you following what I'm saying? Repentance from dead works. Those things which you think are enough to earn the approval of a God who does not need anything from you in the light of what Christ has done. So some people think, oh, that means you're saying that we shouldn't do anything. Ah, if you think we're teaching that, it's only because you don't understand what we're saying. It's not because we are wrong. Are you following what I'm saying? Paul, by this grace, says, I labored more than all my brethren. But I don't mark myself against those labors because it was not I, he said, but the grace of God that labored through me 
abundantly. So it wasn't me. It was grace that carried me. You see the difference? These are the things a person who has just received Christ should understand before we teach them faith. Faith toward God. Because if I teach faith toward God, but they've not learned to yield, the Bible says, submit yourselves unto God. You see? Resist the devil and he shall flee. In this place of resisting the devil, now I'm teaching about the shield of faith. Which will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. But by the time this shield comes out for them, they have already learned the mystery of submitting to God, death to the flesh. That at that particular point, their performances are not best on their own abilities, but through Christ, which strengthens them. Now I can teach faith to that individual because they have understood what it means to yield themselves and their entire faculties to God. But somebody gets born again and they jump into faith but without the foundation of grace. Are you following what I'm saying? They need to understand what God has done to enable them, to empower them to perform. Yet not them, but Christ in them. You see? Now, that's a level. And that's a level the biggest percentage of Christians have not crossed yet. Biggest percentage. Some are even qualified ministers with degrees of theology and doctorates on their head. But they've not crossed the first repentance from dead works. Are you seeing the seriousness? So when I was talking with this man of God, our challenge was how many people actually preach the gospel as it is supposed to be preached. And I'm not here to boast and say, oh, I'm better than that man, I'm better than the other man. No, 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 no. If you think I'm saying that, then you have not understood my heart because I'm also with you learning. But with a little, I know, I'm starting to see that there's so much that our supposed men and women of wisdom have not yet scratched concerning this thing. That is why the tides are changing. Some people don't know it. They don't know it yet. But things are changing in the spirit. God is positioning the right people to teach this generation. Because if a man can hear a person like me and say, ah, that's of the devil. So you ask yourself, what of God has he taught? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
So I was saying that a person might be, I'll give you an example. Maybe if you studied a man like Kenneth Hagen, you'd hear him and see that he understood something that we had to learn, but our generations or the children to come might or will or should be or will be a better version of Kenneth e. Hagin's dispensation. Like our children will be a better version. Because look at some of you parents. Your children are sitting under this message now. Some of the things you discover now at this age, you're going to, by some way, raise your child who is three or four in these realities. How do you think she will look like or he will look like when he's 25? The mistakes we made, they will not make. Their mistakes will be our successes. Do you follow what I'm saying? And that's how God works. That's how God works. So, there are things maybe you might read of the olden ministers. Now, for example, when we were teaching the faith movement, when you study men like Smith Wigglesworth, 27 dead bodies, that man taught faith. But there are things you can actually sit down scripturally with him and debate a bit. That doesn't mean that he's wrong, but it was what was available in their dispensation. That didn't make him wrong. But if we meet, everything I teach will reconcile with these realities. You see what I'm saying? But yet there are people I would listen or read and I'm like, mm -mm, this is not my tribe. <laughs> no. No, no. You see, let me give you a simple example for some of you to understand this ministry. One day I'm in this meeting and this man uh, is telling me, you know, we need to teach people that sometimes um, God uh, does not answer our prayers um, like we may want them. For example, uh, God might say, carry cancer for 40 years. I was like, wrong tribe, wrong, wrong tribe, wrong tribe, wrong tribe. Weep, 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 weep. Red light went on. There's a man who agrees with him. And not by virtue of what scripture says, but by reason of the vindication of their personal experiences. Maybe they've carried sinuses for 30 years and they say, ah, God allowed sinuses to teach me. You'll never hear me. You teach those things. That's not our tribe. That's not who we are. We are not of those that draw back to perdition. But we are them that believe to the serving of the soul. If it has not worked in Martha's life, the Bible is still true. Let God be true and every man a liar. That's who we are. That's how we go. That's the pill we swallowed. We don't draw back to petition. That's the part of scripture we chose. 
the Jesus Timotheus Silvanus preached was not yea and nay but in him was those are the scriptures we chose and then somebody said hey so you are selectively picking scriptures no we're not selectively picking the scriptures we've embraced the full counsel because the bible says talk about sickness we know god's will concerning sickness you might carry disease for 20 30 40 years but i can assure you it has to end one day i tell people at least heal and then die but don't die sick tap somebody and tell them refuse to die sick refuse heal fast and then go to heaven but i refuse to die sick refuse now if your neighbor dies it still doesn't change the scriptures that by his stripes ye were Here. If some fall off along the way, those who are alive, the victory continues. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some people have been healed in the gospel, some were burned to stake, but were still preaching the gospel. New people go on the front line and we keep on. But we don't drop back to perdition. We believe to the serving of the soul. Some of you it's the only reason why you're still alive. Only you'd be six feet under. But one day you refused. You refused. Covid times you couldn't breathe. <gasps> I have the life of God in me. <gasps> I have the life of God in me. <laughs> Look at you. Somebody shout amen. So are you following what I'm saying? This thing called the gospel. Because I tell people always if it's the truth it should make you free. This thing called the gospel not many people in the world are preaching it. And not many people know it or can tell the difference. Because maybe some people who are speaking are speaking to people from the same tribe are you learning something when you understand what god has done by christ you will look at the bible differently you will pray differently you will believe differently you will live a different life There's some people who chose a very very poor life. Not because God had designed. You see, if a man is crippled and they use crutches. That man is by all right in every law of the universe or otherwise doing virtue because he has refused to submit himself to these the circumstances of his body 
But that's not Christianity. If you find a Christian with clutches, spiritual, I mean, that's a Christian who has both legs working, but they use a clutch. That's the experience of the new birth. The Bible says you've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. The Bible says you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The spiritual Christian, who, if you're born again, I want you to know, even if you have clutches in the spirit, you're not lame. Now imagine a man who is not lame, but thinks he's lame, and he starts using clutches. He's different from a man who is crippled and is using clutches. Both are using clutches, but one is not lame. He just doesn't know. That's the plight of many Christians. They're not crippled. They just don't know that they can walk. But do you know how many pastors are teaching Christians as though they are crippled? Trying to make them walk? I decree and declare, you'll come out of poverty. You will come out of poverty. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see? But if the heart is not established in grace, but the Bible, listen, the Bible has said, if it's not established with grace, usually these people establish their heart with meats. Eh? Things that seem so deep, they, they seem deep. Have you? met a person who is deep but is off they appear deep they are not giving milk they are giving meat but the meat is off no the meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein every day they are teaching them the you know things to do things they are trying everything they've taught them but nothing is working what might we do that we might do the works of God? What might we do that we might do the works? They're telling you everything you must do. And Jesus tells them, no, this is the one thing. This is the work of God. Jesus did not, he didn't tell them, this is the one work you should do. No. <laughs> Read the Bible. What might we do that we might do the works of God? Because the, the seven things, 20, he says no. This is the work of God. Stop looking at the things you must do. You see what God is doing. That you believe on him. Hey. How many have understood what I just said? Woo. This is so deep. 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 This is the work of God. That you might believe on him whom he has sent. Not the many things. No, this one thing. God has done it by Christ. He's saying, you are trying to teach what people should do. Instead of looking at what I have done. What have I done? I gave them Jesus. They need 17. But I gave them Jesus. Jesus. 
but they have to, but they have Jesus can you first preach Jesus and him crucified can they understand what it means for Jesus to live inside them because if I can help her understand the Jesus in her she doesn't need to worry about cancer somebody shout hallelujah because greater is he which is in me than he which is in the world who is Jesus But you know there was a generational curse of your hey, but I gave her Jesus. Oh, but you know there are people who do witchcraft in the night, uh, fallen angels. But but I gave her. In the midnight hour, the Leviathan and, and the serpent spirits come from the under and the hell opens and then but 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 I gave her Jesus. Why don't you teach Christ? Paul says, When I was among you, I sought to know nothing. To be acquainted of not some of you are now the demonic curse, the generational curse of your uncle, fire, but 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 then some person, but you mean pastor, you mean those demons are not there, they are there, but I also ask them the question do you know what Jesus did? Saints, do you know what it means to be seated in Christ far above all principalities and powers? Do you know what it's like for somebody under you to bewitch you? Do you understand how much power that is? No, no, no. Look at a doo-doo, a small insect on the ground. It's down there. And it is saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. It's down here. Oh, 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 oh. I'm going to be with you. It's down here. Little small insect. It's saying, I'm going to be. That's why. Listen, the scriptures say that when we get to heaven, many will look at Satan. And the Bible says they will cry. They will weep saying was this the one because you won't believe how small he was you won't believe how weak he was you won't believe that that's like a thing that tied your intestines you won't believe this is what the bible says isaiah 13 16 says read the amplified version read the amplified version those who will see you they're talking to satan those who will guess at you do you know what it means to guess to gaze means to, this gazing, when you study the Hebrew, it means to narrowly look. That's what I think the KJV says. It means to narrowly look. People will look at, uh, give me the KJV. I think KJV will bring that out. They that see thee shall narrowly, 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 narrowly look at you. Do you know what it's like to look at the devil? Narrowly. Eh. Do you know what it's like to look at the devil? Narrowly. That you look at the devil like, why? Because you will know your real size. You'll be in your real size. Shake <laughs> someone and tell him I'm big. He said, you shall narrowly look upon 
and say, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and shook kingdoms? You won't believe it. That the fellow was using your mind and manipulating you. He had nothing in you. Now, some of us are not going to wait for heaven. To show us our true size. Come on. Check somebody. Tell him I chose long ago. To believe God and what his word says. When you see the devil narrowly, you look narrowly at HIV. You look narrowly at cancer. You look narrowly at poverty. You look narrowly at lack. You look narrowly at witchcraft. You look narrowly, narrowly. 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 Kashambra de Gaza. The someone is living in the fullness. Living in the fullness of what God has given us in Christ. I refuse to settle for less. I'm going to do big for God. Because he's in me working. In the name of Jesus. That is why I hate preaching, encouraging sermons. I was not designed to encourage. Because to encourage you means you're downcast. Our tribe doesn't get downcast. Things might shake you, but in there there's a crazy woman somewhere. You just switch on a sermon and discover. Hey. Rejoice not over me, my enemy. Don't think that because his face is sad, my spirit is broken. No. I'm strong in there. Stronger than you think. Stronger than you think. Stronger than you think. If you want to understand this tribe, some of you the things you've gone through. If you were to tell your story, the world wrote you off. You, we can't even explain why you are alive. But the brother is still walking. Not by power. Not by might. But by the Holy Ghost. There are people here I know who could have died long ago. The pressure. One time you are in a debt and, and you almost look like you are not. Look at you. You are still driving a car. You are eating. Hey. Tell your neighbor. I am more than a conqueror. In all these things. Are you following what I'm saying? This is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. Listen. The Bible says in Ephesians, understand the work of the church. The church. I'm trying to justify the other thing. That the church of Jesus has never been crippled. Those are kingdoms of men. When people are saying, oh, let's pray for the church. The church is falling. The church can't fall. The kingdoms of men can fall. But the church. Listen. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22. Read the Amplified. God has put all things under who? His feet. Which is? 
Capital. Jesus. God has put all things under his who? Jesus. And has appointed him the universal and supreme head of the church. Who is the head of the church? Where are all things? Answer me, where are all things? And you sit in a lecture of generational curses. You're studying things under your feet. <laughs> the Bible says, set your eyes on things above. You're studying things under your feet. Who bewitched me? Who, who put things under my pillow? He said, set your eyes on things above. Now listen. He has appointed Jesus as the universal and supreme head of the church, a headship exercised through the church. That means that headship of Christ is exercised. It has its essence of expression through you and I. Listen, which is his body. Listen to what his body carries. The fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body, you and I, where you and I are, lives the full measure of him, Jesus, who makes everything complete. You can't die of HIV. Because the fullness of him makes all things complete. It brings every broken thing back together. He fills everything everywhere with himself through his body. That means I'm connected to everything on the earth. Even the cars, Rolls Royces that pass, they are connected to me. I feel them. They feel me. I feel them. F-I-L-L. -L, they feel me. F-E-E-L. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, Listen to this man teaching materialism. Listen to you not understanding my sermon. <laughs> the fullness of God is in us. I'm completing him. Somebody say I'm completing him. Nothing in me is broken. Nothing in me is lacking. Nothing. 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 I'm complete. You, now look, look at you saying, you, even the landlord is going to chase you out. Yes, but I'm complete. You know when you chase a complete one? I'm not crippled on clutches. If you have clutches, you're just a man who is walking with clutches. You're not crippled. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not a life of crippled men spiritually. It's a life of complete men. <laughs> Woo! Now you can teach faith when a man understands where it's coming from. Because I figured I'm teaching fullness. But there's a person who is still 
They've not yet even known what God has done. They've not even understood what the grace of God can do. Paul saw these days and warned us in Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 and I'm going to read the Amplified Version. He said, See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his philosophy. That means you can, philosophy, philosophy, philosophy. The love for knowledge. You know some of you, you're too hungry that you listen to things you're not supposed to hear because you want to hear. And we've seen people taking people into captivity because they speak well. They know how to um, discombobulate mysteries. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. Juxtaposing realities. <laughs> now, listen. Put vocabulary aside. Put um, eloquence aside and understand the truth. Because a man is brought to captivity here through philosophy and intellectualism. He calls it vain deceit, idle fancies, plain nonsense, following human traditions, men's ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. Their ideas of the material. Just crude notions following the rudimentary and elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ Jesus. For, listen to the teachings, in him, this Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. And you are in him. What's the next word? Made empty, made broken, made lacking, made insufficient. No, he says you are in him made full. Tap somebody and tell them I'm full. I'm living in the fullness. Now you see where the someone comes from? Made full and having come to fullness of life in Christ. You two are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and reach full spiritual stature and he is the head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality and power. How can you read these things and walk like a beggar? How can you read this scripture and knock on a man's door tomorrow and tell him, oh, if you don't help me, nobody will help me. Oh! How can you read this portion of scripture and go to somebody and tell him, my auntie is beating me. That kind of person, you need to, if you have time, rebuke the demon off, but first go back and teach them. Because how? How can your auntie bewitch a person who is made fool and has come to the fullness of life in Christ, who is full with God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and is of full spiritual stature. 
unless you have been deceived by a teacher. I'm not saying that you won't send it. No, let me give you an example. Okay, tell your auntie to bewitch me. Me have allowed her to send. Everyone, all those people are bewitching you. Tell them Apostle Grace said you send them to him. If they come, I'll send them for their senders. <laughs> then somebody say, oh, look at this command. No, now look at you. I'm also saying, yeah, now look at you. Child of God, let God be true. Either we choose to believe God or we continue acting like we believe. But as for me and my house, that's our course. Pastors, if you understand this fullness, you'll understand Luke 10, verses 2, if you read the Amplified Version. Luke chapter 10, verses 2. Now, those of you who are preaching the gospel, he says to them, the harvest is abundant. There is much ripe grain, but the farm hands are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. When you learn to live in the fullness, pastor, you'll never ask for members. You'll ask for workers for the members who are here. <laughs> Did you get it? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, not to increase the members. No. You'll be praying for laborers. Father, I thank you for the millions and millions of people who are serving in Fanera across the world. That's how you'll pray. Because the harvest is abundant. So I live in the fullness. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ. For though he was rich, but made himself poor for your sex, that through his poverty, it might redound to your riches. Now, you have to first go through what Jesus did to make himself poor at the expense of your poverty, so you can be rich. This is not something you apply when you're broke. This is a life you must learn to live. When you live in the fullness, it doesn't matter what's on your account, you will never think poor. You might not yet be married and you're 49, you're 50. You will never think you're rejected. You can't think there's something wrong with you because you live in the fullness. I'm complete. Nothing is lacking, nothing is broken, nothing is missing. You'll thank God for your husband. Even if you're 60, you'll still thank God for your husband, but you will never think that you have a curse on your life. If it's there, you'll never recognize it. <laughs> and if you don't, it's not there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Tap somebody and tell them live in the fullness of what God has done 
through Christ. Parents, pray for your children in the fullness. Don't, oh God, will my lovings get fees? Help us and we get fees. Father, you gave me children. And you say that they are for signs and they are for wonders. They are potent. That's what the Lord of hosts says. You said in your scriptures, your children shall I teach and their peace shall be many. Thank you for the fees. My children, thank God for your fees. That's a man living in the fullness. Never go to God saying, why me, Lord? No. Why not you? Why not you declaring the glory of God? Live in the fullness. Tell your neighbor, live in the fullness of God. Pray from there. Fast from there. Dream from there. Innovate from there. Evolve from there. Mutate from there. Adapt from there. Fight from there. Fall, but find yourself there. Whatever it is, this is your realm. This is your world. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings. And drown me rings the music of us feel. This is my father's world. I rest me. Of skies and seas, his hand the one has run. So let go my soul and trust in him, the waves and winds still Open your mouth and speak to Jesus. So Express yourself. Speak 
something in the sky Release something in the atmosphere I live in the fullness My life is built in the fullness I build in the fullness I create in the fullness I pray in the fullness Come on, let's take a few minutes and break this thing. Something is happening in your life Something is happening in your family Something is happening in your body Something is happening in your mind Something is happening in your finances Something is happening in your ministry Something is constructing in your child Supernatural Supernatural Supernatural
few words on your life. <laughs> you are living above and not beneath. The fullness of God is yours. And it works in your dreams. It works in your minds. It works in your business. It works in your families. It works in your career. You don't fail. You don't struggle in the name of Jesus Christ. You will not die early. You live a full life and go to your grave full of age as a stock of wheat in its season. God's best is on you in the name of Jesus. The excellences of his power, his wisdom are going to be expressed through everything you do tomorrow morning, this coming week, this coming year, and all the years of your life combined. I decree and I declare that the worst has already happened and the best days are ahead of you. Give him a mighty hand, a cup of praise if you believe that word. Give him a celebration if you have received it. Celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's do one thing before all of you move away. I want to give an opportunity to anybody who says, As you are preaching, man of God, I felt like I want to have a relationship with that God. Repeat this verse after me. Say, Lord Jesus, today I have made the choice to give my life to you to receive you as my lord and savior knowing very well that only you died for my sins and was raised for my glory today i'm a new creature i enter the kingdom of the everlasting father amen this sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.